You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Wonderful. We have something, someone to sing about this morning. We're not just gathered here because it's tradition and we in Minnesota, Iowa, we, we sing. This is what we do. We, we get to sing. What we just sang, the Father's wrath completely satisfied. We're, we're made right. We're, we're reconciled to God. He's loved sinners like us. We have something to sing about. That's what's wonderful about singing together and, and we're glad to to do it together again, but those reminders, the singing, God uses our mouths and instruments to direct our hearts towards Him again. So praise the Lord that they're not just good tunes, not just what we've done, but, but that lead us to Him. So I invite you to take your scriptures again in front of you um, or in the chairs. If you don't have one, turn to the book of Philippians 3. We are just it may be for some of you going to feel slowly going through chapter 3 here. We are quite slowly. There's just some things to, to uh, wrap our minds around and try to understand and sort out and think through. And so there's, there's no rush. We're just on one verse today. It's going to be verse 9. You can turn there. I'll, I'll read the, the, um, the 1 through 11 again just to give us the context. But while you're going there, here's our picture from last week. Uh, Kaylin. Collins did this for us. Kaylin, this is your first picture turned in, right? This congratulations, awesome. So, Kaylin uh, put up here. You know what this is? This is a garbage can, and God is better than things. And we talked last week about Paul saying, I, "I'll lose it all. It's all considered rubbish or trash." Kind of wondering what kind of pictures I'd get this week, but we went with garbage, and that's good, Kaylin. I think that was a good choice. Didn't go the King, King James route there, so that's okay. But um, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, you look it up. But uh, anyway, God is better. I consider all that stuff rubbish, garbage dung for the sake of knowing Christ. So thank you, Caleb, for doing that. Well, this week we get into verse 9. It's kind of a continuation. It's not really a, a new sentence. It's just part of, you know, maybe a long sentence here. We're used to that with Paul. Um, how long? Maybe not that long. But I'm going to read. I'm just going to begin in... Chapter 3, verse 1 again, that call to rejoice in the Lord. We'll read through it and then look at verse 9. Here we go. God's word this morning. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray again. Lord, this is Your Word. We just recognize it it is sufficient for us. It's what we need, and particularly we are in verse 9 today, and I'm praying, Lord, that You would use, again, my my words that are just man's words to, to point to your word, your true word, your infallible, inerrant, lasting, forever word that's sufficient for us today. Ground us, Lord, as a people in your word. And Lord, as we study even just one verse, and we'll go other places today, Lord, but I pray as we study your word, we would believe what we're reading. We wouldn't just look at it as an ancient document, some, some kind of pep talk for the Christian life. This is words of life that we're looking at today. This is our hope. Our hope hangs on what we're looking at today. And so, Lord, help us to hope in you. By your Spirit, lead and guide us, we pray. In your name, amen. Well, before we get into the text itself and look at this, um, I want to think today a little bit about the word Righteous, you saw it in verse 9, righteousness, that word righteous. It's a word scattered throughout scriptures. I didn't, I didn't do a count how many times, but it applies. When you think of righteous, you think of God is righteous and man is to be righteous. So it can apply to both. God himself is the righteous one. A couple smattering of verses throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 32.4 describes the Lord as one whose, quote, work is perfect. All His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, without sin, just and upright is He. That's who God is. The Psalms describe God as a righteous judge. And just any judge, He's a righteous judge who feels indignation, goes on to say, anger every day. He's a God, uh, Psalm 9.8, who judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. That's how he judges. The righteous, upright, that's how the judge judges, the righteous judge. Psalm 11.7 says, The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Psalm 92.15, There is no unrighteousness in Him. Psalm 118.20, God has a gate and only the righteous shall enter through it. His rules are righteous. He's forever righteous. All His ways are righteous. His hand, what He does, is righteous. God is a righteous God. What about man's righteousness? Just a couple places. Psalm 1 may come to mind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. In order to stand in the judgment before the Lord, one must be righteous. It's the righteous one whom the Lord knows. Or Psalm 5.12, the righteous are blessed. It says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So those who are righteous are known by God. They're secure in God. They're blessed of God. To be righteous in reality is to use the word to define it, is to be what? Right. To be right. To be upright. I think we might interchange words holy, pure, blameless, just. That's what some of the Psalms, some of the places I read. Straight as opposed to crooked. Psalm 1, righteousness is set against the wicked. So Scripture here defining God as righteous and then those who would have His favor are the righteous as well. And perhaps if you're thinking about these things of God's righteousness and man to have God's favor must be righteous, perhaps we come to a familiar question in our lives. If God is righteous and the righteous are those who are favored by Him, then where do I stand before a righteous God? What's my standing? Or, or is His judgment upon me as one who is wicked? How do I stand before this righteous judge of the universe? God of wonders beyond our galaxy. He's the righteous judge. How in the world will we stand before this judge? Maybe that goes through your mind. In Philippians language, where we're at, we could ask, what's your confidence before this righteous judge? Our passage and and this section kind of present two paths of confidence. I'm not saying they're both equal, but there's two paths. The, The first one appears right, looks like a good path, but ultimately that path of confidence will not save. But there's a second path that in some ways just looks way too good to be true. Look again at our verse. Um, It's hard to start right at verse 9 because it's kind of a part of a sentence there. So let me just start it back in verse 8, just midway through verse 8, and I'll I'll just read 9. I'll I'll read a couple times. We're familiar, but uh, midway through verse 8, Paul says, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And now here's kind of our focus for this week. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Now, we'll just stop there. This not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, being found in Christ. Now, from the text here, I don't think Paul's offering two competing ways to be righteous. You, you choose. If you want to take you know, path A, you can. Path B, not that type. But there are two ways that I think can be looked at or ways that man may seek righteousness. And the first way is the way of the law and the flesh. So two ways, if if there's a way of righteousness, the one Paul's bringing up, there's the way of the law and the flesh. It's the way Paul had lived before he came to Christ. It's the way he had lived his life. I think that's what he's getting at in verses 4 through 6. Again, if if anyone's going to have confidence to be righteous before God, it's Again, he's got the right background, the right pedigree, right actions, right ways. 
But Paul, now he's found Christ and he's explaining to the Philippians that he considers everything else a loss, even all that those things I could put my confidence in. It's all a loss compared to the surpassing worth of Christ. In our verse, it's not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. As I read the context, maybe if you're, you're thinking here, you're, you might have this question. Didn't Paul just say in verse, I think it's verse 6, right? Didn't he just say he was righteous under the law? He was blameless? And so now he's, he's kind of changed. Is he talking, now he's saying, now there's not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Until Paul was confronted with the one he'd been persecuting, Jesus, on that road to Damascus, Acts 9 speaks of that. Paul's view of his righteousness, I think, was his view in verse 6. The righteousness under the law, blameless. But now here, we've got just a few verses later, Paul, he's discounting this, this particular way of righteousness. In Paul's former way of life, and every other pious Pharisee, they prided themselves keeping the law. You know, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Justifying themselves. And I think as Paul here gave his list of qualifications in the flesh, and that of righteousness under the law, being blameless, it was according to his view of himself. This is how Paul saw himself blameless. We're going to go to a passage, and you can start on your way there, Romans 3. Um, love how Scripture, so we're in 1 verse 9. We're going to just kind of go to verse, uh, Romans 3 as kind of our commentary today. So I'll reference a few other commentaries, other authors, but the best commentary is Scripture. And so Romans 3, I think, will be helpful for us, amongst other places, to think about righteousness today this theme righteousness law faith even because for paul what he writes here and i'll be in starting verse nine what he writes is really a turn from where he would have used to have been so look at romans 3 i'm going to read chunks of this so just bear with me romans 3 9 through 20 now that we're maybe i've got you you're thinking about righteousness the law, faith, all these sorts of things. Do we, do we trust in that? Is there a blamelessness that we can do? Here's what Paul would say in Romans 3. He says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all... What's he mean by all? He means Jews and Greeks are under sin. And now he goes, he quotes a psalm here, as it's written, None is righteous. There's our word. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever, Paul says, the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that, purpose there, so that every mouth may be stopped. 
and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law speaks. It indeed speaks. And when it speaks, Paul says, mouths are stopped. Mouths that would claim a self-righteousness, a self-justification. I can do this myself. No law-keeping is going to justify or declare you righteous in the courtroom of God since the law brings us knowledge of sin. So we can't go in that courtroom and say, I'm righteous. Even if we just read through Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, He talks about that, doesn't He? Maybe in your Bible reading you've read through the Sermon. Uh, chapter 5 is where, where this is at, but other places uh, in Matthew where Jesus speaks there. He talks about the heart of anger. It's not just that you've not murdered somebody, it's, it's the anger in your heart. Or it's adultery. It's not just the adultery, it's the lust in your heart. Or pride in one's religious duties. Look at, I'm, I'm praying. Hey, look at, I'm praying. Or I'm fasting. Hey, everybody, look at what I'm doing. Paul's declaration here in Romans 3, none is righteous, not one. As long as we compare our righteousness to others, we're going to find, I think we might find some sort of justification. But when we compare our righteousness to the holiness, to the uprightness of our God, we find ourselves wanting. His righteousness is the only standard that matters. At first, it might appear, you know, even as we think of Psalm 1, the righteous and the wicked and these sort of things, somehow with an, enough duty, enough kind of oomph, enough willpower, we can seek after a righteousness and a blamelessness. But again, we fall short, as we'll read in a little bit in Romans 3. On our own, we should be fearful to stand before the righteous judge, the Lord. On our own. Now, we're going to head back to Philippians briefly, and we'll come back to Romans 3. So, Philippians 3. And now let's just look at the second part of verse 9. That's one, two types of righteousness. Here's a righteousness, law in the flesh. Paul's just discounting it all in Romans 3. Nobody's righteousness. The law brings out your sin. When the, when the law said, uh, do not think this way, I automatically thought that way. But now look at the second part of verse 9. So verse 9 again, kind of midway. Paul wants to be found in Christ not having, so the negative, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, now a comparison here, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see it here in this text where it says, but that which comes through faith. There's a, there's a righteousness Paul thought he had on his own that came from the law, but, you've got the word but right there, there's a contrast, and it's a big, kind of if you could put capital letters around B-U-T, but there's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Paul calls it here a righteousness from God that depends on faith. So a question. So now we've got, there's a righteousness coming from law, and there's a righteousness coming through faith. Did Paul 
just replace works of the law with another work called faith. Is that what he did? Kind of just did a swap of works. Not the law, but, but now you've got to do something. It's faith. Again, I, in my flesh, ourselves, we cannot earn favor with God. But the temptation when we see faith here, I think, at least for me, is to go right back to a man-centered view of salvation. In other words, what do I have to do? Okay, all right, Paul, I, I don't have to do the law, but now there's faith. Now I've got to do that thing. But the beauty of faith is that it is not a work. And this, I think, just has to be clear to my heart and to your heart. Faith is not a work. It's not a merit. It's not the quality. I think D.A. Carson has talked about this. It's not the quality or quantity of your faith that matters. Otherwise, it's, it's how you would earn righteousness. But what is it? It's who your faith is in. We've said it before, the, right? The object of your faith. That's what matters. If your faith is in your faith, and that's when it becomes the work, like, is it good enough today? It seems wanting. It seems small. That sort of thing. Now I'm putting, I'm resting in what? In faith. I'm not resting in Christ. Head back to Romans 3. And now let's look at it further. Having thought about that, we've looked at sin and is righteous, the law, it comes knowledge of sin. Now for some more commentary here in Romans 3. And this will finish out the chapter 21 through 31 then. Okay? But now. Here's the law, knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in, here's the object, Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Jew, Gentile, there's no distinction here. We are all level at the cross. It's not an ethnic, it's not a racial thing that gets you in these places. All, verse 23, right? Bible club kids, you've already been through this, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's our sin, that's what we've done. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That's, that's what we sang about just a couple moments ago. You're, you're uh, completely satisfied. Your wrath, the Father's wrath, completely satisfied. That's the idea of propitiation. It's a great word. God put forward Christ, this, this satisfier of wrath in Christ by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. Okay? God does not become unjust when He saves us. He's just and He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Paul asks, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? 
Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised, I think Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law, Paul says. The law is upheld because the one who we put our faith in, Jesus Christ, is the righteous one. It's upheld because he's the one whom Paul would lose all gain to be found in him. Remember Matthew, again, from Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says he's not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. What we could not fulfill on our own, our working, our striving, is what Jesus Christ has done. So then how, how is God's righteousness accounted to us? so that we have this righteousness of God that Paul talks about back in Philippians 3. comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The technical name for kind of what we're studying today in theology would be justification by faith. It's the act of God, the righteous judge, declaring us righteous, not on the merits of our own law-keeping, but solely on the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Praise the Lord. That's how we're justified. Justification comes by means of, through faith, where? In Christ, the righteous one. Paul says, Romans 5.19, just a little further even, where Mild had read this morning, he says, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's you and I, through Adam, through his disobedience, we we're all made sinners, we're all unrighteous. So by one man's obedience, who? Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. This is good news for sinners. Jesus lives and he fulfills the law perfectly. He faced temptation, he prevailed. Fulfilled the law and the prophets. God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's the unblemished lamb. His blood atones for our unrighteous, sinful deeds. He redeems us. He buys us back from our sinfulness. He was, according to Paul in Romans 4, I think it's the end of 4, he was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, delivered up to the cross, and raised for our justification to be declared righteous. In our text in Philippians, Paul has in mind these two polar opposites. These two things. Confidence, confidence in the flesh, what we can do, or confidence called faith in Christ. So confidence, trusting in your flesh, what you can do, or confidence in Christ, His righteousness. A righteousness not of Paul's own doing in the least, but a righteousness from God depending on faith in Christ. All right, here's what one commentator says here. He says, but Paul says, so but Paul says, there is another kind of righteousness, not a righteousness that he achieved, but a righteousness that he received. I love the way that he worded that. It's not a righteousness Paul achieved, it's a righteousness he received. And then he goes on to say elsewhere, the righteousness from the law 
refers to Paul's obedience to the law. Righteousness from God refers to a right relationship granted by God, not on the basis of obedience to the law, but on the basis of faith in Christ. Both the flesh and faith look somewhere. The flesh looks to deeds, works, accomplishments, what you have done in order to be counted as righteousness. But faith looks elsewhere, not on a righteousness of your own doing, but on the righteousness that comes from God. Remember that hymn, My faith looks up to Thee, Thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Faith looks and sees and trusts. It depends on the righteousness in Christ that we in our flesh, we could never produce. Let me just comment briefly, and then we'll we'll close here. Let me comment briefly on the danger of putting anything else in that blank, the object of our faith. Anything else but Christ. We might have touched on it already. So when we replace Christ as the one we look to for our righteousness, and we go at least, maybe there's more, but at least two ways, I think. If we replace the object of our faith, Christ, with faith itself, we doubt. I think we face doubts because of why? Because we're trusting in, we are right back in the same place we've been in self or in me. What have I done to merit this righteousness? And we're failing in that moment to rest in Christ alone. And we're examining our faith. Is it good enough? Did I say it the right way? Did I, I know I prayed. I hope it's the right way. That's some of your stories. You're getting pers- That's my story. If I do it the right way, oh, take, look to Christ. Or, or we replace the object of our faith, Christ. We replace it with the law, the keeping of the law. We replace the glorious grace of Christ in our lives with the pride of our own keeping God's law. You know, we don't drink, we don't do this or that, or we do this and not that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing out what are legitimate, God-honoring ways of living. I'm not throwing that out. But the things we do or don't do are not the basis, they're not the grounds of our justification or our righteousness before the Lord. Christ must be the sole grounds before a righteous judge of the universe that we sang about. It's His blood. It's His resurrection. It's all Him. So whose righteousness are you depending on? to stand in the presence of God today? Should He just come right now and take us? Should we die on the way home? And I hope not, but trust the Lord. What is our standing before this righteous judge? It is our own, my own righteousness? Think, I think I'll get through. Or is it Christ? My study Bible has this comment here. It says, To be a Christian means one has traded in his polluted garment of self-righteousness. We thought it looked so good. I was doing so well. He said, trade that polluted garment in for the perfect righteousness of Christ. Quoting again, the Christian, he ceased striving and now rests in the finished work of Christ. Is that you today? 
Let me just remind you, Jesus' words. Listen to his words, Matthew 9.13. We're quoting Matthew a lot. So remember what he said? For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Because it's sinners who are justified, declared righteous by the righteous Lord, the judge on the merits of Christ's righteousness. So what's the application? If you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ today, may you repent and place your faith in Him. If you're in Christ, you know Him as Savior. What's the application? Is Pastor Mike going to say, well, now here's, here's some things to go do. Here's what you've got to change. No, I, I think the application is just joy. Be joyful. Sing loud. Sing on your way home. Sing in the shower. Rejoice. Jump up and down. For our righteousness is not found in us. A righteousness you could never earn is ours in Christ. Think of the Psalms, Psalm 1, or any of the Psalms you can read. It speaks about the righteous man, and we read through there and go, I wish I, wish I could read this Psalm. It's talking about a righteous one. Are you in Christ? On your flesh? No, you're not righteous. In Christ? Yes, His in exchange for His righteousness. You can call on God as Father. You can approach His throne. I keep going back. The God of the universe, you may come before His throne at this very hour and plead before Him and pray and seek Him and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm, my day's awful. I don't know about this situation, but I can, I can talk to God. I'm reconciled. You can enjoy His presence. And enjoy it, not fearful, but enjoy it in the righteousness of Christ. All glory is the Lord's, right? It's Christ for His glory that He's done for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank You. Thank You. A song, Lord, that we might sing for eternity to sing to You. We can, we can look forward to singing in Your presence, holy, 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 because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. A righteousness not our own, a righteousness of Christ, received by faith, trust, belief, rest on You. Lord, Keep us from a works-based righteousness. We who have known the Lord for a long time, keep us from the temptation that Satan would offer to say, you've been a Christian for 10 years and you're still struggling with that sin. May we come back to the cross again and proclaim, it's Christ my righteousness. That's my hope. He's my hope. I have nothing. It's not me. You're right. I'm a sinner. I have Christ. May we rejoice in you. Strengthen, Lord, our faith where it is weak, where we're struggling. Strengthen us, Lord, to give you glory alone for your work in our hearts. And Lord, for those today here in the hearing of the word, or maybe they're listening to the podcast later on, struggling with their standing before the righteous God of the universe, may today be the day they turn, repent, and say, I agree, I am in sin. And I agree, my only hope is Jesus. We pray this in your name, your holy name, your gracious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. Thank you.